Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpackers. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 57. If you're a Catholic who votes Democrat, this episode is most especially for you. If you know a Catholic who votes Democrat, then you need to get him or her to listen to this episode. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, and other assorted morons, miscreants, and malcontents advocate for the government giving us all sorts of free stuff. Free tuition, free medical care, free basic income, free, 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 free. This is all socialism, plain and simple, and Bernie Sanders flatly admits that he's a socialist. Actually, he's a communist, but that's a whole other issue. What does the church teach about socialism? Does the church even have a teaching on socialism? We'll find out in today's episode. Do you have an apostolate you'd like other Catholics to learn about? Maybe you have an e-commerce business and you want to build sales while supporting a holy orthodox apostolate. Whatever you want to advertise, The Cantankerous Catholic is your portal to success. The Cantankerous Catholic isn't even a year into broadcasting its weekly shows and we're already listened to in 16 countries, all 50 states, and 101 major cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. Our listener demographics are the most sought after for advertisers. The Cantankerous Catholic avatar is 53% men and 47% women ages 18 to 34. The show's average growth rate through 2019 was 24% per week, and our listeners are Orthodox Catholics who reject heterodox Catholic positions and political correctness. Relative to other podcasts and online advertising, our rates are extremely cost-effective and inexpensive. You can advertise in each show's show notes, in the recorded episode itself, our weekly newsletter that announces each new episode, all of these media together, or in any combination. So contact us today by filling out the form on the Sponsor Kit page at cantankerouscatholic.com or email Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, directly at joe at cantankerouscatholic.com to learn how you can begin driving traffic to whatever you want to promote while helping to support a worthy, orthodox, and hard-hitting apostolate. Most level-headed Americans are astonished that anyone is even talking about socialism in this country today. What amazes them more than the fact that there are people representing us in Washington who promote socialism is that these tyrannical power-mongers have a substantial following among the American electorate. Any thinking patriot who knows and loves the Constitution isn't surprised about any of this. Thinking patriots knew America would reach this point way back in 1935. I wasn't even born yet then, but I saw this coming 40 years ago. The Catholic Church saw it even before Americans had to deal with it in 1935. In his 1931 encyclical, Quadragesimo Anno, Pope Pius XI wrote, No one can be at the same time a sincere Catholic and a true socialist. 
Pope Pius XI was the first pope to officially condemn socialism, and every pontiff since then has condemned it with the exception of the socialist Francis. But that's not too surprising because he's a material heretic in a lot of other ways, too. The condemnation of socialism didn't actually begin with Pius XI. The Church has condemned socialism from the very beginning. The very basis for socialism is that everyone is taken care of by a governing body, regardless of whether some people contribute to the greater good or not. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul wrote, If anyone will not work, let him not eat. While the word socialism only found its way into common parlance in the 19th century, its underlying philosophy dates back several millennia. Though it's taken different forms over time, the constant and most identifiable threat of socialism, from the ancient Greeks to today, has been the denial of man's natural right to private property. Since the Church is a great defender of private property rights, the Catholic Church and her saints have found the need to speak out against socialistic theories since her infancy. In the second century, for instance, the heresy of Gnosticism was spread by Epiphanes who maintained a Platonic version of socialism. St. Clement of Alexandria, a father of the church, censured Epiphanes for his Platonic socialism. In the third century, church father Lactantius warned that while private property allows the possibility of both virtue and vice, a community of goods disallows the possibility of some virtues and contains nothing else than the licentiousness of vices. Clearly, Lactantius was aware that some early Christian communities held things in common, but he also understood something else. There's a fundamental difference between a man freely giving up his possessions for the love of Christ and denying anyone else the right to own property. In the 4th century, the Eustacian heretics espoused the view that private property was immoral, a view they were censured for at the Synod of Gangra. In the 9th century, the 4th Council of Constantinople reaffirmed private property rights in two ways. First, it reaffirmed that bishops have the right to apportion or bestow their property on whoever they wish and choose, in accordance with their own powers and rights of ownership. Second, it forbade the bishops to seize the private property of others, declaring, So if any bishop confiscates any property from anyone, thinking he is protecting his own church, let him be suspended by his patriarch for a time, having first restored what he took away. If he persists in his disobedience to the decision of this holy universal synod, he must be completely removed from office. In the 13th century, St. Thomas Aquinas addressed the question of anti-property apostolic heretics in the Summa Theologica. Thomas writes, Now the reason why these people are heretics was because severing themselves from the church, they think that those who enjoy the use of the above things, which they themselves lack, have no hope of salvation. Therefore, it is erroneous to maintain that it is unlawful for a man to possess property. St. Thomas clarifies that the Apostolaci were heretics precisely for the reason they espoused the position that private property was unlawful. In the 14th century, some held that the ownership of property signified imperfection. They maintained that neither Jesus nor his disciples owned, nor could Jesus have owned, property. 
This position was formally condemned as a radical by Pope John XXII in Cuum Inter Nonulus. In the 19th century, the heresy of modernism contended that the church didn't possess the right to own private property, a view that was formally condemned by Pope Pius XI's Quanta Cura in 1864. Twelve years later, his successor, Pope Leo XIII, issued an encyclical where he stated, For, indeed, although the socialists, stealing the very gospel itself with a view to deceive more easily the unwary, have been accustomed to distort it so as to suit their own purposes. Nevertheless, so great the difference between their depraved teachings and the most pure doctrine of Christ that none greater could exist. This brings us to the 20th century and Pope Pius XII's encyclical in which he states that socialism is irreconcilable with true Christianity. He continues with the powerful magisterial condemnation, no one at the same time can be a good Catholic and a true socialist. Socialism itself has seven of its own deadly sins. Let's talk about those briefly. First, socialism truncates the human person. Catholic teaching has, at its heart, a focus on the inviolable dignity and wholeness of every human person, as well as the need for personal transformation to transform society. While not all socialists have been atheists, the questions socialists ask tend to focus on the care of the body instead of the soul, and the answers that they tend to give focus on systems, not people. In his landmark encyclical Rerum Novarum, Pope Leo XIII thought that the satisfaction of bodily material needs was dependent upon the care of the whole person. He wrote, And since religion alone, as we said in the beginning, can remove the evil, root and branch, let all reflect upon this. First and foremost, Christian morals must be reestablished, without which even the weapons of prudence, which are considered especially effective, will be of no avail to secure well-being. Next, socialism denies the rights of the family. Christian morals and natural virtues are taught and indeed caught most often in the family, which the church has taught is the center of human society. The Compendium of Catholic Social Teaching affirms the priority of the family over society and over the state. While socialists classically think in only two categories, the individual and the state, Catholic teaching emphasizes that society and the state exist for the family, not the other way around. The omnicompetent socialist state supplants the functions of families and shatters society into tiny atoms whirling around a single nucleus, the federal government. The third sin is that socialism crushes civil society. The church teaches that the state exists to protect and empower families and other parts of civil society. Those little necessities of professional, local, cultural, artistic, religious, and other associations that fulfill people's material, social, and spiritual needs. While prudence may dictate that in certain limited situations the state must step in and fulfill some needs that civil society or even a family or families can't provide, the compendium of social doctrine observes that such intervention should always be seen as exceptional. 
If someone outside the government can accomplish something without using coercion, it's at best a dangerous lack of prudence and quite often simply a serious violation of justice to get the government involved. Socialism tramples on the sacred human right to private property. Socialists assert that private property essentially belongs to the state to be used for the common good while Catholics have always believed that the goods of this earth belong to the whole human race and are to be used by all. This doesn't mean that the state should control them. In Rerum Novarum, Leo XIII defended not only the practical benefits of private property, but argued that those benefits came from the fact that private property was according to natural law. The human race, he said, has found in the law of nature itself the basis of the distribution of goods and, by the practice of all ages, has consecrated private possession as something best adapted to man's nature and to peaceful and tranquil living together. This right is, of course, accompanied by duties to use private property to provide for your own family's needs and those who can't do for themselves but it's still a right even if it's sometimes abused. Socialism promotes class warfare. Because of its Marxist origins, socialism goads workers into unrelenting class warfare, which Marx himself saw as the engine driving human history. This is a hallmark of the modern Democratic Party. Instead of partners in productivity and human cooperation, owners and investors are seen as workers' enemies as if all the wealth were a fixed, unchanging pie citizens should fight over for their limited share. Pope Pius XI condemned this view of society, urged socialists to renounce the very concept of class warfare, and warned Catholics of the dangers of cooperating with socialists under any circumstances. He wrote, whether considered as a doctrine or an historical fact or a movement, socialism, if it remains truly socialism, even after it is yielded to truth and justice on points which we have mentioned, cannot be reconciled with the teachings of the Catholic Church because its concept of society is utterly foreign to Christian truth. Socialism thwarts our right to economic initiative. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states bluntly, Everyone has the right to economic initiative. Everyone should make legitimate use of his talents to contribute to the abundance that will benefit all and to harvest the fruits of his labor. The abundance created by economic activity is clearly designed for the good of all, but this in no way negates the justice of entrepreneurs and investors harvesting profits. Prevent them from doing that, and soon there'll be no economic initiative at all, and perhaps no economy, as the unfortunate citizens of Venezuela have learned. Finally, socialism replaces love with bureaucracy and class conflict. This right to economic initiative is also connected to the benefit of the human person. St. John Paul II observed in his encyclical, Solicitudo Re Socialis, that to deny the right of economic initiative in the name of alleged equality would be a violation of the creative subjectivity of the citizen. Again, human persons don't have material needs, but spiritual ones that creativity and economic initiative will help fulfill. Clearly, the Catholic Church's teaching on socialism is a blanket condemnation of that ideology. 
But what about the modern Democratic Party's promotion of it? Socialism isn't anything new with the Democratic Party. Socialism began with the election of Franklin Roosevelt. Virtually every program he got Congress to pass was a socialist program. Not one of those programs was constitutional, and patriots who opposed them brought suit after suit to stop them. But FDR bullied the Supreme Court and stacked it with progressives until he finally got his way. Perhaps the most enduring anti-constitutional socialist program he got enacted was Social Security. That single program has been more destructive to America and Americans than any other, and it opened the door for countless other socialist programs. The Tenth Amendment to the Constitution says, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And there's not one damn thing in the Constitution that authorizes at least 80% of what the federal government does. The Constitution not only doesn't authorize Social Security, but it also doesn't authorize Medicare, Medicaid, welfare, student loans, student grants, disability payments, and a bevy of other entitlement programs. No one in America has a right to expect the taxpayers to give them a single damn thing. Some people might say things like, Do you want to return to poorhouses? Or, Don't we owe it to our fellow Americans who can't take care of themselves to do it for them? Or, How can the elderly or disabled care for themselves without Social Security? Or, How are kids supposed to afford college without federal entitlement programs? These questions are absolutely ridiculous. No one advocates a return of poorhouses. I haven't seen the statistics yet under the Trump economy, but Reagan proved we don't need the federal government to care for the poor. While he slashed federal entitlement programs, he lowered taxes on the American people. The result was an increase in charitable giving to an all-time record high in American history. And the Trump economy has taken millions of Americans who were dependent on the federal government and placed them back into the workforce as contributors to the national economy instead of takers from it. About Social Security We've become so dependent on it over the last 85 years that the solution of getting rid of it in a just manner is a bit complex. Because everyone in the national workforce has been forced to pay into the Social Security system, we'll have to phase it out. It's a big bullet to bite, but bite it we must. We have to remove everyone from the Social Security program from age 50 and below. In justice, we have to give them the money back that they paid in and make them responsible for their own retirement. Everyone above age 50 will remain in the program until they die. The way we'll have to fund it is by getting rid of every bit of government waste and every other entitlement program. Then we'll be restored to the Constitution regarding entitlements. Regarding kids going to college, based on my own experiences, I'm firmly convinced that the vast majority of college students don't have any business there in the first place. Most of them need to be learning trades. Besides, they'll earn more money in the trades than in most professions colleges are supposed to be preparing them for. 
With very rare exceptions, the colleges and universities of this country are nothing more than Marxist indoctrination centers, and it's the federal government's fault. If government completely removed itself from what passes for higher education and allowed the free market to dictate things, everything would gradually become normal on campuses again. With a free market driving administrators' decisions, tuitions would drastically decrease because even wealthy families would begin to look at costs. Marxist professors would have to find another line of work because parents and students would become more focused on which schools would give them the most bang for the buck in terms of academic excellence. Modern college students are taught how evil America is. They're taught nothing about our history. Rather than being taught about the things that are found in the great books programs, art, legitimate philosophy, and classical literature, they're taught instead about Marxist ideologies. Most of them can't even tell you how or why our great nation was established in the first place. No, the federal government, translation the U.S. taxpayer, has no business in the financing of college educations. It's not constitutional, and a modern college education ruins young minds. I don't know about you, but I don't like my money being used to destroy minds. Socialism is condemned by the Roman Catholic Church and has been for two millennia. It's also completely incompatible with the Constitution. Always remember the truth Thomas Jefferson gave us. The worst day in a man's life is when he sits down and begins thinking about how he can get something for nothing. That's socialism. And we need to readopt the thinking of our first president when he said, The future of this nation depends on the Christian training of our youth. What do Billy D. Williams, the celebrated American artist Norman Rockwell, and famed comedian Jimmy Durante have to do with one man's journey from conservative Judaism to the cross? Everything. Marty Barrick has lived one of the most fascinating conversion journeys ever told. In Calvary Road, Marty's biography, you can read about Marty's military service with Billy D. Williams, how Norman Rockwell helped him pass a college course, how, in his deep abiding love for his late wife, Marty helped Irene travel the road of sanctity, how the times are quickly reaching critical mass for fulfilling prophecy concerning the Jews, and much, much more. Get your copy of Calvary Road by Marty Barrick today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to the Western Journal. When former Vice President Joe Biden was allegedly denied communion at a Catholic parish in South Carolina last October for his stance in favor of abortion rights, it sparked a debate over the Democratic presidential frontrunner's Catholicism. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number 4 Hats off to the Western Journal. President Donald Trump is reaching people that many believe could never be reached by a Republican president or presidential candidate. The evidence of that is plentiful in the deep blue state of New Jersey. 
175,000 people, mostly Democrats, requested tickets for the Trump rally, an all-time record for a presidential candidate. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the National Catholic Register. When things go well, there's always a temptation not to pray. It might seem like God is not needed and everything will be okay without him. That's the benefit of crosses in our lives. We receive the grace to see that we were not okay on our own. We need God's help to live well and be truly at peace, said Buffalo Bill's offensive lineman Mitch Morris. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number, number 2. Hats off to LifeSite News. Exorcists are warning that there is a global movement to normalize Satanism and denounced the recent publication of a children's book of diabolical incantations as the latest stage in a process of wooing people from God. Father Francesco Bamante, who presides over the International Association of Exorcists, wrote on the group's website that there is a current attempt to present Satanism as a perfectly normal alternative to traditional religion and philosophy. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to LifeSite News. In a Sunday homily, a Florida Catholic priest asserted that if John the Baptist were alive today, he would challenge pro-abortion politicians who claim to be good Catholics. The normalization of homosexuality, Pachamama idolatry within the walls of the Vatican, and those who leave the church. What a great priest! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Warning to snowflakes. If he thinks it, he says it. It's time now for Joe Sixpack's Common Sense Catholic Commentary. This week's commentary is going to be a bit different than usual and a bit longer. Over the last couple of weeks, I've asked you to participate in a survey, and you responded tremendously. Now you have a right to know some of the survey's results and my subsequent decisions based on those results. As is the case with all such surveys, there are always those miscreants who think they're being cute when they troll, but only one did that in this case. All the rest of you six-packers did a splendid job of giving your well-thought-out responses, which I greatly appreciate. So let's go through the questions one at a time. 1. I asked about your status in the Catholic Church. 85% of you say you're cradle Catholics, 12.5% are converts, and 2.5% are non-Catholic. 58.97% of you are men. The rest are women. That did my heart a lot of good. I love you ladies, but let's face it, there's a crisis of a shortage of men in the Catholic Church who are committed. That nearly 60% of the cantankerous Catholic listeners who responded to the survey are men is very encouraging. So tell other Catholic men about the cantankerous Catholic. 2. I asked if those who are non-Catholic would want to consider starting a dialogue with me about the possibility of becoming Catholic. Now I've begun such a dialogue with three people. Thanks be to God. Make no mistake about it. This apostolate exists for no other reason than to reach souls. 
The idea behind everything Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy does is to help souls attain eternal life with Jesus and Mary in heaven. It's no secret that at least 95% of Catholics in the pew are catechetically illiterate. In other words, they're ignorant of the teachings of the church, and you can't practice what you don't know. Practicing the faith Jesus established is the only way we can even have a hope of going to heaven. Then there's our responsibility to share the faith with non-Catholics. If everything you and I do through this apostolate only results in one non-Catholic's conversion, or one Catholic having that aha moment to begin on the road to sanctity or become a lay evangelist or apologist, then all the effort and money we've spent are worth it. 3. I ask what sort of Catholic you consider yourself to be. 86.8% of you consider yourselves to be committed. I don't doubt that for a minute either. After all, you're six-packers. Six-packers are committed Catholics and leaders. 7.9% of you consider yourselves lukewarm, but I'm encouraged that you won't be lukewarm for long, or you wouldn't be involved with this apostolate. 2.6% of you said that your cafeteria Catholics are Catholic in name only, respectively. Again, I'm encouraged that you won't be that way for long, or you wouldn't be involved with this apostolate. If you're one of those who answered that you're a cafeteria Catholic, Catholic in name only, and you want to discuss that, reach out to me. I'm always available to you, and in all cases, I maintain strict confidentiality. 4. I ask you which were your favorite and least favorite episodes. I was both astonished and humbled by your answers. The great majority of you told me you liked them all. One answer really stood out to me, though. This respondent said, Every episode I go up and down, not because I don't agree, but more the way things are presented. I always have my mind translating how you come across to a person with liberal sympathies. I fear you would come across as sanctimonious. This response reflects something I always worry about. The last thing I want to do is come across as sanctimonious. However, there are a few things that need to be understood. First of all, there's a big difference between Catholicism and politics. In Catholicism, there's no such thing as liberal and conservative. There's only orthodox and heterodox. In other words, you either accept the church's constant 2,000-year teachings or you don't. There are no opinions. If you reject a single teaching of the church, all of which come directly from God and his three persons, you're not a Catholic in any way except name only. There's liberal and conservative in politics, though. All of the political points and commentaries I make are based solely, 100%, purely on completely orthodox Catholic doctrines and morals. If a political argument on either the liberal or conservative side doesn't conform with the orthodox Catholic beliefs, I reject it completely. There's no gray area in faith and morals, and anyone who says there is either doesn't understand the faith or they're lying to you. Make no mistake about one thing, though. Absolutely everything on the Democratic platform comports perfectly with the platforms of the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. Therefore, as any committed Catholic is morally obligated to do, I'll always shout from the rooftops against the Democratic Party, even willingly sacrificing my life to do so if need be.
By the way, I'll be doing an episode on a comparison of the Democratic Party platform with the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan very soon. My final comment on this response is simple. In all things, we're supposed to imitate Jesus as best we can. Was Jesus being or sounding sanctimonious when he called men liars, hypocrites, and white-painted sepulchers full of dead men's bones? Was he being sanctimonious when he drove the money changers from the temple with a whip? Long ago, I made up my mind to imitate Jesus in just this way, even if I came across as sanctimonious, because Jesus was giving the absolute brutal truth for the sake of souls. Truth, by its very nature, offends and angers people. I don't worry about that because ultimately the Holy Spirit's in charge, and he offers the appropriate and necessary graces to the hearers. Nothing else matters. 5. Overwhelmingly, you told me your favorite segment besides the main topic was this segment, Common Sense Catholic Commentary. Indeed, 51% of you prefer this segment. Frankly, I was surprised that 27% of you liked the Catholic Stories, which was the second most liked segment. I'm glad I asked about this because I was thinking that maybe a majority of listeners perhaps thought that this segment was a bit childish. After all, I get fewer comments and questions regarding this segment than any other, so I was considering dropping it. I'm glad I asked first. 6. I asked you which type of episode content you prefer. There were 8 choices given. The number 1 choice, with 19.23% of you weighing in, was more Catholic teaching on doctrine. Frankly, that's exactly what I was hoping. Presumably, you've asked for this because you want to learn more and have a better understanding of the faith, which is exactly what I want to help you do. Let me state emphatically, though, that I'm not going to honor this request. You may ask why I wanted you to choose more Catholic teaching on doctrine if I'm not going to give it to you on the cantankerous Catholic. Let me explain. There will always be doctrine included in most of my podcast content because it's a necessity in most situations. But the purpose of the cantankerous Catholic is to help you see how to apply doctrine and morality in your daily life. But if you want to learn more Catholic teaching on doctrine, as you've indicated that you do, you need to be attending the webinars. It doesn't matter if you can't attend. Register for the webinar, and I'll send you a link to the recording within 48 hours. What? I think I just heard a massive sigh. You sires are probably thinking, I don't want to attend some boring old presentation on Catholic doctrine. If you're thinking that, I don't blame you a bit. I don't like being bored either. But let me ask you a question. Are you bored with this podcast? Presumably, you answered no. Well, you won't be bored with the webinars either. So when you get the next invitation, sign up. And I expect a major increase in registrations because more than 60% of you said you either don't attend the webinars or only sometime attend them. 6. I asked, do you have any suggestions for content you would like to hear? I had a lot of good input on that, but I have to admit I got a little tickled when someone answered the question and gave me an episode title at the same time. The respondent wrote, Birth Control, the Christian, and the Democrats. (laughs) I, I thought that was pretty doggone good. Another respondent suggested something I need to try to keep in mind. 
The person said that I need to talk as if I'm addressing an audience of liberals, and presumably the heterodox, so you have better ammunition when confronting them. I'd really appreciate hearing from the rest of you on this one. Either contact me or comment at the bottom of my show notes for this episode on my podcast website. My final comment on this is from another good suggestion. A listener asked me to do more about the traditional Latin Mass versus the Novus Ordo. That's a good idea, but I think most of you might be very well astounded by the things I have to say on that topic, all of which are based on immutable, divinely revealed truth and not opinion. 7. The last question I asked that I want to talk to you about was, what can I do to better serve and help you? There were a lot of great suggestions that require more creative thought on my part, but there was one answer I want to address directly. The respondent wrote, I would like to get our church back to do away with the nonsense of the changes of the last 50 years, but our priest is not interested. Ditto for any in the area. I would like a way to change that, but half of the congregation likes the changes also. Although I can't see who the respondent is, the survey does tell me the general geographic location, and this particular respondent is from a part of the country known for heterodoxy. Let me tell you the only things I know of that'll work. First of all, pray. Nothing is stronger than prayer. You might want to organize a group of like-minded Catholics to meet for weekly or daily prayer. Secondly, Respectfully ask your priest about using my bullet and insert program. If he declines, offer to subscribe to it yourself and tell him you'll even be the one to put it in the bulletin each week. Why the bulletin inserts? Folks, we've seen complete transformation of parishes like this respondent's. The transformation doesn't happen overnight. It may even take more than a year to begin, but it can happen when the weekly inserts are bathed in prayer. The way it typically works is that some parishioners get angry about the things I write. They contact me. Sometimes they chew me out. Other times they talk down to me like I'm a complete idiot. Some even demand that I back up what I say with proof. In all cases, I respond with charity and as much humility as this arrogant man can muster. In most of those cases, a dialogue opens, and logic and reason rule the day when coupled with documentation. So if you want to follow this up, just click on the subscription link under the headline that says Four Pastors in my show notes, and you'll have a subscription link. And for those of you who said you wanted to learn more about this, you'll be getting an email from me this week. My final recommendation is that you dust off your old thinking cap from grade school and begin thinking outside the box. Get creative. Every parish is unique. Every parish is different. It's your parish, so you should be able to come up with something creative and unique that's just for your parish. Oh, and by the way, exactly half of you said you'd like a bumper sticker to help spread the word about the Cantankerous Catholic Podcast. There's a link in my show notes for this episode where you can ask for a free bumper sticker. Please do ask. There's just one final thing I want to tell you. As most of you know, I work alone. I have the additional handicap of being, well, handicapped. Consequently, I'm always way behind in getting things done. 
For example, some of you have graciously and generously signed up on Patreon to help me get a little extra cash flow to be able to pay the bills. In turn, I've let you down in giving you the extra content I've agreed to give you in exchange for your support. Believe me, I'm not procrastinating. I'm just swamped. My workday begins at 3 a.m. every day, and it doesn't end until at least 5 p.m. I work long and hard every day but Sunday. One Catholic commentator on the internet recently said that I produce more Catholic content than any other person that he knows of, but frankly, I'm exhausted. For several months, I prayed for God to send me some help. Well, he answered that prayer just this week. A committed Catholic couple who've been regular listeners and supporters of the Cantankerous Catholic have graciously offered to help out. It'll take a few weeks to get them up and running, but all the promises and commitments I made will begin to come to fruition very soon. Sixpackers, we, that is you and I, are on a mission to restore all things in Christ, which means reaching souls and changing hearts and minds. You can help me a lot by going to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you can find the Cantankerous Catholic and write reviews of this podcast because those enable more people to discover me. Also help out by making your comments in the comments section under the show notes of each episode on the Cantankerous Catholic website. That helps more people discover the website. Finally, I'm a poor man, and the Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy apostolate ain't cheap to operate. Help me out by clicking on the link in my show notes that says, Help Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy Keep the Cantankerous Catholic Alive and on the Air. Let's work together to save souls, because comfort and conviction don't live on the same block. Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, is a welcome visitor to parishes across the United States every Sunday through his What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Using humor, immutable truth, and ignoring political correctness, Joe Sixpack helps the average Catholic in the pew better know and understand our holy and ancient faith in a way that is refreshing, awe-inspiring, and makes readers chest-pounding proud to be Catholic. And readers love it. Now you can enjoy Joe's work by getting the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It book series. In fact, get two copies of each book, one for yourself and one for your pastor. Then your priest can decide if he wants to help your fellow parishioners by subscribing to the What We Believe, Why We Believe It bulletin inserts. Get your copy of the best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It by Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, today in print or ebook on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and Kobo. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A wealthy couple, in spite of all their riches, lived in constant conflict and anything but marital bliss. The wife often ran to her bedroom in bitter tears. One day, she was casually looking through her late grandmother's diary and happened to come across a page with a heading that read, A Household Remedy Against Discontent. She began eagerly reading, and this is what she found. 
Whenever I feel miserable or in a bad temper, I go get the picture of the H.A. Homo and place myself at its feet. I look at it attentively for at least three minutes, reciting at least three Our Fathers before I go away. This always restores my peace and contentment. My confessor advised me to do this. I've tried this remedy for 30 years, and it's never failed. The young wife remembered that she'd kept her grandmother's H.A. Homo. It depicts Jesus scourged, crowned with thorns, covered with the filthy garment of a soldier, his face sad and his eyes filled with tears, his lips quivering as if he were saying, See how much I've suffered for you? She went to the attic and found the old picture. She dusted it carefully and hung it in her room. The young wife tried to follow her grandmother's advice. Whenever she felt like a quarrel was about to begin, she'd go to her room, kneel in front of the picture, and gaze at the face of our Savior, so sorrowful and yet so gentle, as she recited the three Our Fathers. Her anger and impatience gradually disappeared. She acquired new courage to submit to her husband's wishes and speak to him gently. I've noticed a striking change in you, dear, the husband once remarked. What's changed? I've found an excellent teacher, she replied. Then she went on to tell him who her excellent teacher really was. Before long, her husband also wanted to learn the lesson of gentleness and patience before the picture of the suffering Jesus. In the course of time, peace and happiness prevailed in that family. A holy, chaste, and constant love is the foundation of a happy marriage. Such love will enable a couple to help each other until death to support the burdens of married life in establishing a home, as well as to put up with each other's faults and avoid fighting. The graces of the sacrament of matrimony keep such love alive. Christian marriage is a sacrament of the new covenant to give grace to a husband and wife so they can rightly fulfill their duties toward each other and their children. Christ, who elevated marriage to a sacrament, should be the source of strength and inspiration for every married couple. Like the couple in this story, they should go to Christ with all their problems. He's an excellent teacher, and his graces never fail. Those graces are the secret of a truly happy and peaceful marriage. That's it for this episode, Six Packers. Be sure to come back and listen to next week's episode. If you like The Cantankerous Catholic, be sure to write a review wherever you download it so other like-minded Catholics can more easily find it. And be sure to visit my show notes to get links to other things relevant to this episode. As long as you're on the show notes, drop a comment at the bottom to let me know what you think of this episode or to suggest topics for future episodes. If you happen to be on cantankerouscatholic.com for the show notes, download a free copy of The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It, Volume 1, and visit the Joe's Stuff page to get copies of my other books and some really neat coffee mugs. I think you six-packers are the cream of the Catholic crop, and I really appreciate you listening. Just remember, though, comfort and conviction don't live on the same This block. has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.